It's a good day. We're in our Exodus series. Uh, We call it From Slaves to Singers, but uh, the story really begins at the very beginning, and I'll uh, I'll give you a little context for it. Um, There was nothing, and then God spoke a word, and there was something. He he speaks the world, world into being. It's like he could have made it like, you know, plasticine or something, but instead he speaks the world into being. From nothing, there is something. And then God, if you follow the story through the book of Genesis, which for us would be book one if we're in book two in Exodus, in book one, then God speaks to Abraham, and he speaks to him a promise that he's going to be a great nation. And Abraham believes God, and he becomes the father of nations, even though he's got one kid or two, depending on how you you look at it. The great patriarch of the Israelites. And then God is speaking repeated promises. He speaks to Isaac and then his son Jacob. And God speaks these promises over them. And then Jacob and his sons eventually go to Egypt. But it was Joseph. Jacob, one of Jacob's sons, who is the deliverer for Egypt and for Canaan and for the, the sons of Israel. And it's Joseph who's the one who he, he administrates for the, through the famine and gives food to people and saves them all. And then, if we follow this story, we would find that after a number of years, there's a, a new pharaoh in Egypt, and he forgets about the, the part that Joseph played and who Joseph was, And as the Hebrews grow, he becomes worried and afraid that they're going to take over. And so in his fear about what could be, he enslaves the Hebrew people. And then, because they don't seem to stop growing even though they're enslaved, he embarks upon this plan to kill all the Hebrew baby boys. And and yet, through it all, God sets apart one named, who will be named Moses, and Moses is put into the ark basket by his mom when he's just a few months old, and sure enough, that little basket is found by the Egyptian princess, and the Egyptian princess decides she's going to take this baby and care for it, and it ends up, so Moses ends up back with his mom to be raised by his mother until he gets to a certain age, and then he's brought back to the palace, where in the palace, He's raised with all the, the wealth and privilege of the education you would get in the court of Egypt. And, um, and then one day, after a, quite a number of years, Moses decides he's going to step into his destiny. And he's going to be the deliverer for his people. And so he kills a Hebrew, uh, an Egyptian, a slave driver, and he saves a Hebrew slave from this Egyptian, kills him and buries him, and then it gets found out, even though he tried to hide it. And sure enough, Pharaoh comes after him. Moses runs and takes off to Midian. He becomes a fugitive and um, runs away. And then he steps into plan B, which was a few weeks ago we did that sermon. And he delivers some, some girls, shepherd girls, from the mean shepherds. That's the plan B for him. And he settles down into Midian. He marries one of them because that's a great way to meet a girl, save her you know, save her a lot of trouble, and then, you know, win her heart. And so he decides he's going to stay there. He settles down. He has a baby and uh, becomes a father. And then he's pretty, generally pretty lonely as a refugee in a foreign country with his family. 
and maybe a pretty good shepherd, reportedly. We're not totally sure, but we think maybe he made a pretty good shepherd. And one day as he's out on the, he doesn't know, but on the mountain of the Lord uh, in near Midian, he's, um, he ends up coming across a bush that's on fire, except for it's not burning up. A burning bush that's not burning. And so he decides to go closer and to check it out. And as he gets closer, he hears the Lord call to him from the bush, Moses, with an echoey voice. Sorry, sound person. And God calls Moses, and Moses says, what, what? And God says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Moses takes off his sandals. And then God says, I've seen the cries of my people in Egypt, and I've come down to rescue them, to deliver them. And so I am sending you. And Moses says, awesome, I've been waiting for my big break. No, he doesn't. Moses begins his opposition to the plan of the Lord. And he says, well, who am I to do this? And God says, I will be with you. And then Moses says, well, well what, what if I go to them and I say, you know, God sent me. And they'll say, well, what's his name? And which we know from last week means, you know, who are you? And God answers back to Moses and says, I am who I am. Or Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I have seen and heard, and I've come down to rescue, and I will send you. And they will listen to you, and Pharaoh will not listen to you, and I will do great wonders, and then you'll plunder Egypt as you go. Unpause. Last week we paused. If you're not here, you're like, what is he doing? Last week we were, in the, we were right in the middle of the story, and I paused it. And so this week... I just gave you the synopsis, so now you're all up to speed, and I'm going to unpause this story, and I'm going to keep going. And if you would like to read along to make sure that what I'm reading is from the Bible, because it's so crazy, this whole story, then you could read along yourself in Exodus chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 17. So, unpause. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Ah! Like how you'd run from a snake. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Ah! And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, <gasps> behold, whoo! It was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe either these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground. And the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, like in the last five minutes, 
but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I, shall be with, I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. And then Moses went back. This is God's word. It's a good story, right? Isn't this a good story? You look a little blank. Are you feeling blank this morning? God has given us what we need to do, what he's called us to do. God has given us what we need to do, what he's called us to do. This morning we're going to talk about the three obstacles to obedience that we share with Moses, I think. And the first obstacle if we, we're going to scan back a little bit into last, week, last week's portion, but the first thing we see is that we don't know God. We don't know God. You know, when, when I first met Lauren, that's my wife, if you don't know. When I first met Lauren, I, as I told this story, I saw her and the angels sang in that moment. Hallelujah. It was like the angel chorus. And there was like a light shining down on her. And I was, I was smitten in that moment, struck by her beauty. And, and then I went away and I, I didn't realize I was infatuated for a couple weeks. And so I, you know, I thought of, I didn't really think about her. And then I eventually realized, you know, I think I, I like this girl. I started thinking about her. I went to my friend. I thought maybe she was dating him. And he said, no, 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 that's perfect. You should go, you should go after her. That's good. And so I began my quest to know her, to know more about her. And so I went to find out information. I only knew her name. And then I found out more things about her. I found out that, that she spoke French because she got up in the chapel at Trinity Western and she prayed in French. And I, oh, she speaks French. Okay, and I wrote that down. And then I found out she played on the university volleyball team. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Okay, an athletic girl. That's good. Okay. And then I found out she lived in dorms and that she ate in the cafeteria. And I tried to go and be in the cafeteria, but I, don't, I didn't know when she went for meals. And so I never saw her there. But I was like trying to get all this information about her. I found out that she'd done missions. And I found out that she loved Jesus. And that was enough for me to like, eventually, it still took me a long time to ask her out. And I, I dreamed about her and, I, and I, I imagined being in a relationship with her. But until actually I, I talked to her and began to get to know her, I didn't really know her. I knew some things about her, but I didn't know her. Now, we've been married for 17 years. Got the nod. That's right. 
and we've known each other for just over 20 years then. Got another nod. And in that time, we've spent a lot of time face-to-face. And so now, when I tell you that I know Lauren, you will know that's true. I've heard her stories, her history. I heard the stories about when she was younger and she got hurt, or when she had embarrassing moments, or, or her hopes and her dreams and her fears. I know her. But it would be foolish for me to say I know everything about her, wouldn't it? I mean, I haven't heard all the stories. I've heard a lot of them, but there's still much to learn. You know, Moses' first obstacle to the Lord when God tells him to go is that he says, the people, and we talked about this last week, the question isn't like, what's God's name like, Bob or Henry? It's like, what's God's name like? Who is God? Like, Moses' obstacle is the people don't know you. They don't know your character. They might know the title, God sent me. Oh, God. Yeah, I know God. But they won't know your character. They won't know who you are. Because they've only got a few stories passed on. They don't know you. Moses says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Or we know that means, who is God? Who are you? What's he like? What does his name mean? What shall I say to them? Isn't this very much like our, a, a, our great evangelism obstacle? Like my obstacle to sharing my faith with other people. I, if, if I go tell my neighbors or my hairdresser or the people on the soccer team, parents, about faith, my worry is that they're going to ask me, what is your God like? And I'll, I'll, what is your God like? I, what's my God like? I, what is he like? Isn't that the question? And God's answer to Moses about that is, I am always the way I am. That's what, what God said men. Tell them I am. And I never change. I cannot be other. They, they should call me he is, or Yahweh. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I mean, the, the Hebrew people are enslaved for 400 years. It's like, we said that maybe it's like 12 generations. This is a thousand generations? That's crazy. And one could argue that Moses' question to God about his name is just as much for Moses as it is for them, for the people he's going to. He's saying, I also want to know your character as I go to represent you. And you know what? Why is a character question. We often say the word why. You know, it's like something happens and we'll be like, why did this happen? Why did God allow this? Why is God doing that? Or why is God not doing this? And we have this why question. And the why question is a character question. It's really about like God's motivation. What's going on with God? Why is he doing the things he's doing? I want to know what's going on with him. And our questions are often pointed and specific. Why did you let that person die? Or why is that person sick and that person got healed? Why? And you know what? God's response in the Bible to all those pointed questions is often other questions. God says other questions back. God says things like, how much do you think you know? Out of all the things there are to know, how much do you think you know? How old are you? How big are you? How big am I? Is it possible to trust me? 
I mean, we can't really know God, can we? We can't know God. Frederick Buckner says, Theology is the study of God and his ways. For all we know, dung beetles may study man and his ways and call it humanology. If so, we would probably be more touched and amused than irritated. One hopes that God feels likewise. <laughs> it seems so arrogant to say we know God. We know all about him. Like we've nailed him down somehow. God is mystery. God is, he's infinite. And yet, it would be arrogant for my kids to say they know everything about me. They know every story, every brainwave, every decision, every motivation. But my kids still know me. They still know me. They might not understand me, <laughs> but they know me. They know my character. They know my heart. They know my love. And you can know God. You can. God reveals himself to Moses. He's talking from a burning bush. He's saying names that they've never heard before. He's doing miracles they've never seen before. This God is personal. We can know him. He isn't new. He isn't fickle. He isn't changing the lines and moving things around. First Timothy says, Paul says, the saying is trustworthy for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he will still be faithful. He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Paul gives us all these, you know, things, and you're expecting that he's going to say God will also be faithless because you deserve it. But it doesn't because God can't change his character. He won't is the way he is always. So we can know God because he isn't changing who he is. He's not just and then unfair or generous and then stingy or loving and then indifferent or kind and then mean or honest and then manipulative or faithful and then flaky. And we know God in Jesus. We know God because of Jesus. Jesus comes to give God the name Yeshua, or Jesus. He came to reveal the Father's heart to us and came to be obedient to the call of God, that he would be true and faithful to his character as mercy and justice and faithfulness and deliverer and rescue and salvation. When Jesus is walking around on earth, he says to a group of people, um, in John chapter 8, verse 58, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The same name God uses for himself with Moses. And the people who are listening to Jesus aren't like, oh, that's a funny play on words. They like picking up rocks, they're going to kill him. For blasphemy, because he's, they know exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I am. I'm the same. I'm still the same. I am God. Jesus says in John 14, 9, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. What a claim to make. And so we know Yahweh because we can see Jesus. We see a true representation of the Father. So when people come to you and they say, what's your God really like? You can say, God is just like Jesus. Jesus, that's what God is like, like Jesus. 
Our second obstacle, and Moses is, is that we don't believe. Or we could say, I need a sign. And if I asked you and I said, now how many of you have ever, ever, ever asked for a sign? Lots of you will say, no, 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 I know that's not right. I shouldn't ask for a sign. We shouldn't test the Lord. And so you keep your story secret about the times where you needed a sign and you asked the Lord. And maybe it was that you needed direction or you needed help with something or you, you just needed encouragement. Maybe something was hard and you, you asked for a sign. I remember a time where I, I was in a lot of pain. I had my, my hips um, were flaring up. And so I was, again, I was stuck at home. And my family was all going out to an event, I think some kind of conference thing. And I felt like, God, like I was being passed over. And I felt really, really discouraged. And so I was kind of, I don't know if I was moping around, but I was at home feeling discouraged and praying and talking to the Lord. Like, God, I just, I feel so alone. Like you, you're not even here with me. And then the phone rang. And I went and I answered the phone. And it was what we would now call a pocket dial. So, you know, when you, you answer the phone and you hear that someone's phone is on, but they don't know the phone is on, so they're talking. Like super scary when that happens to you, right? <laughs> and so usually, though, we would see call display and we would say, oh, my, John called me by accident. Okay, I'll hang up or I'll listen to him for a while, right? <laughs> Depending on what kind of person you are. And so I, I'm listening. There's no call display back in the day when I was this age. <laughs> and we didn't have call display. And so I don't know who called me. And so I'm listening and I can hear my mother talking. And she's talking about me. She's saying, John, is, he's, in, he's having a flare-up and he's in a lot of pain. And then I hear these other people talking. She's talking to him. And they say, oh, wow, that's so sad. Can we pray for you right now? Can we pray for him? And I'm listening. I'm like, what? I need to listen to this. This is crazy. Like, this is my mom at the conference or wherever they are. And so they start praying for me and I'm listening. Now, the crazy thing is my mom didn't have a cell phone. So who's pocket dialing me out of these people? I don't know. And my mother. I don't know, but I sure took it as a sign that God knew exactly what was happening to me and encouraging me in that moment. Wouldn't it be easier if we all got signs like that all the time? I feel like, man, that would, this would all be way easier if that happened every day. I wouldn't have any trouble believing anything. Would I? Would you? The second obstacle Moses has is God says, they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders will go to the king. And Moses' response is, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Like, let me just... Again, go to the scene. Moses has his sandals off. His bare feet are warm on holy ground. His face is warm from the fiery bush that's not burning, the holy presence of God in, in the bush. His eyes are averted so that he will not die by looking at God. And he's arguing. God says, they will listen. Moses says, they will not listen. Maybe not in that tone. That's exactly what he says. I can't help but think this sounds a lot like a great evangelism obstacle that we have. If I go tell my neighbors or my hairdresser or my soccer team parents about Jesus, they'll just say, I don't believe that. And so that's my excuse. 
I decide for them. They won't believe that. They're too busy. They don't need God. They don't believe in him anyway. They're atheists. They're happy, adamant atheists. I mean, I'm not going to convince them. They're just going to argue, or they'll ask impossible questions. They'll doubt. They'll want proof. They'll want a sign. And then I start thinking, if I just had that snake stick, that would be very convincing. I feel like if I had carried around a stick that turned into a snake, our church would be full, <laughs> wouldn't it? And I've seen some magic shows, so I know like, it would be nice to have a couple other things up your sleeve, you know, in case you really need to wow them with something else, like a diseased hand. You know, a few more signs wouldn't hurt. Moses gets these three powerful, amazing signs. He gets the snake stick. God says, what's in your hand? And he throws it on the ground. And it turns into a snake. And Moses, writing the story, says he ran away. <laughs> Which is a, a normal reaction when your stick turns into a snake. And then he picks it back up by the tail, which is an act of faith. <laughs> to pick up a snake by the tail. And trust it will turn back into your staff. His diseased hand, God says, put your hand in the cloak. And it comes out, and they use the word leprosy. And they often would use the word leprosy. Didn't just mean like a specific diagnosis, but any kind of skin, serious skin disease, skin condition would be called leprosy. And so his hand goes in, comes out, is, lep is covered in some kind of skin disease. And he puts it back in, and it's healed. And then the last one is not something he does, but what God tells him he could do is to go get some river water and pour it on the ground and it will turn to blood. Which if you've read this story, you know that that's the first plague that happens. Only it's not on the ground, it's in the river. And of course, when Moses does these signs, everyone believes him. And there's never again a question about his leadership. People just follow. Is that what happened? No. No. What's it going to take to convince people? Because if I think, you know, imagine, so you have faith in Jesus, you were a wreck, and he loved you, and he saved you, and he gave himself to, in death on a cross, and he rose again, and you responded to him, and you, he fills you with his spirit, and he's changing you, and you're experiencing that transformation in your life. And you think, I want other people to know about this. This is amazing what's happening in my life. What God is doing, I, I, want it, I want people to know. How do you convince them? How do you do that? What do you need? A magic show? Do you need clever words or a skillful argument? Moses had signs, and then he had wonders, like amazing wonders. And still it wasn't enough to convince the hard heart of Pharaoh. So what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Jesus does some of the most convincing and undeniable miracles there are. Raising people from the dead where everyone's watching. It's not a secret. Or calming the weather or multiplying food. Amazing miracles. Healing people that have been out of it for a long, long time. No question. And not everyone is convinced. They weren't all won over. They didn't all believe. In fact, some of them strengthened their resolve to be against Jesus no matter what he did. So the sign isn't by itself enough. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-4, to 
Paul writes this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, and the word is brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When I see those words, demonstration of the Spirit, I'm always picturing a stick that's turning into a snake. I'm, I'm picturing someone getting healed dramatically. That's what I'm picturing. But do you know a demonstration of the Spirit isn't always like that? It could be Jesus' fruit coming out of you in a challenge or a struggle. It could be love in the face of hate. It could be sometimes joy in adversity. A demonstration of the Spirit and of God's power. But our dependency is not on the miracle or the healing or the wonder, but on the presence of God who promises to be there with us through it all. To go with us. And Moses' last obstacle in ours uh, is that I'm not able. I'm not able. And he has that expression. Same as the cat. Um, it was around this time of year, six years ago, that we were wrestling, I was wrestling with church planting. I didn't feel like a church planter. I, uh, all the church planters I knew or had imagined in my mind were type A, they were ambitious, they're self-starters, they're entrepreneurs, they cut a big vision for global transformation or national transformation. They cut a wide path wherever they went. Those are the kind of people I picture as being church planters. And so I went through step by step our process and I was looking for someone to tell me, you actually shouldn't do this or you can't do this, you're right. And so every step I kept asking for that and we went to our assessment, our church planter assessment, which was the whole weekend long or three days. And... I told them at the beginning of it, if anyone feels like I shouldn't do this, just be totally honest with me, just candid, and just tell me, because that's what I want to hear. I, I'm looking for someone to just tell me that. And so we went through all the different things. You do a bunch of tests, and you do different activities, and they're watching you and, and asking you lots of questions, lots of interviews. And so at one point, I got back my leadership skills um, test, the test I'd done for what my leadership skills were. Now, in, on this test, there was like six, maybe six different things, and there was like a little thermometer on each, for each leadership skill, and so for each one, you could get, if, you're, if you're, you got it like red, red was very, extremely strong, extremely strong. If you got an orange, you were very strong in that leadership skill. If you got a green, it kind of meant you were mediocre in that leadership skill. Blue was low in that leadership skill. Yellow was very low, or I don't know about all the colors, but I know some of them. My test, when I got it back, and I, I was excited, and he put up on the screen what a normal church planter profile would look like. Extremely strong, extremely strong, very low. Extremely strong, extreme, like, whoa, okay, wow. And I opened mine. Mine was green. All the way down. Green, 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 green. I'm extremely mediocre. Like, my, my ears started burning, my heart dropped. 
I was like looking at this thing, and then the psychologist who's doing the thing with us, he's like, yeah, actually, and some of them are sometimes weird how they come out. Like, actually, yours. <laughs> and he points to me, hey, show everyone your test. <laughs> I'm not even joking. So I lift up my thing, and I show everyone all the green. And I look in around, and there's red, 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 red. There's red everywhere. All these people are extremely strong. And I am clearly not called to be a church planter. Am I? I wonder when it hit Moses. How many years it took him out in the wilderness shepherding when it really hit him. Maybe one day he's just out there and he's walking around and he realizes he doesn't have what it takes. He doesn't have the position, but more than that, he just, he's mediocre. He just doesn't have it. He's the failed out, washed up, could have been. He had, everything was placed just right for him to make the jump into deliverer, national deliverer. And it didn't go his way because he just couldn't make it work. In my mind, he makes a pretty convincing point. Because I feel like, who wants an incoherent leader? Who wants a leader who can't, you know, putting his foot in his mouth all the time? We don't want that. We want someone who can speak well to lead us. Moses says, oh my Lord, I'm, I'm not eloquent, or it means I'm a man of words, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Like he says, God, you didn't heal me yet, and I'm here talking to you. So like, I can't do this. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Do you, do you know what it means when we say we can't to God like that? When, when we say I can't, we're saying my weakness is bigger than you. God, that, that my limitations also limit you, God. That's what we're saying. After all, he's never used anyone like us before, has he? <laughs> I was at a, the soccer practice, and I was talking to a Sikh man, and he was asking me, so what, you know, what, what do people in your church do? They don't do prayers every morning and night? And I said, well, we do like personal prayers. So like, I go and I spend time reading the Bible and praying and talking to the Lord. And he said, well, you're a pastor. I said, well, yeah, but like everyone in my church would do that, right? <laughs> I said, well, we all have a personal relationship with God. And you'll say to me, Don, you hate to break it to you, buddy. You're a pastor. You're a pastor. Why? You're not like me. You don't understand what it's like. And I say, yes, I was like you before I became a pastor and magically sprouted wings and became super spiritual all of a sudden. We're, we're together in this, just so you know. God doesn't fix Moses' impediment. Isn't that striking to you that, that God uses him in spite of it? He chooses not to fix Moses' mouth, but to use him just the way he is. And if God uses Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and Ruth and Esther and David and Solomon and Elijah and the list goes on, if you don't know who those people are, you should read their stories because they sound suspiciously like us. The whole list, if he can use those people, then he can use us. He can use us. God's response to your limitations and to Moses' is, is the Lord says to him, who made your mouth? 
Who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you will speak. It's laughable that we would tell God what we can't do when what he's asking because of our limitations. Like as if I don't have the gifts, I don't have the experience, I don't have the ability, I just can't do it. Do you know that afternoon of my assessment when I got that horrible thing that I promised myself I'd never tell anyone about? <laughs> Later on that day, I had a church planter come to me and he said, hey, so we have this big church planting project we're all supposed to do together. And he said, I think you should lead. You should be the lead on this. And I said, hey, buddy, <laughs> have you seen my leadership skills assessment? This was literally our conversation. Have you seen my leadership skills assessment? It's green. It's green. He says, I know. I saw it. That's why I think you should lead us. I said, what are you talking about? He said, we're all like extreme, extreme personalities. We have extreme leadership things and weak things. And maybe we need someone right down the middle to lead us. He said, I don't know if you're supposed to be a church planner or not, but I think you should lead our group. And in that experience, the Lord really spoke to me that maybe it wasn't out of my strength, extreme strength, that I was going to be able to walk forward and do what he's called us to do. But maybe it was out of my weakness, trusting him, that he'd given me and made me the way I am so that I could do what he's called me to do. Maybe this is true for you too. Who made your limitations? Not God. Oh. It's a mistake. It's an error. It's an oversight. God couldn't have meant for me to do all that when he gave me this. I'm gesturing to all of me. Isn't that what we think? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For consider your calling, brothers, and again, brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one, have, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What a beautiful picture. And then Moses makes God mad. It takes a lot to make God mad. Moses succeeds in his first real encounter with the Lord, <laughs> which may be a record or something, I don't know. But remember that, that God is slow to anger. It's part of his character. It's in his name. You can make God mad, but you have to try really hard as John Mark Homer will say. <laughs> you have to really work at it because of God's character. And Moses says, oh my Lord, please just send someone else. And then the Lord smote Moses with brimstone for his effrontery. What? God is, it says God's angry. He's kindled to anger. And then he, he even then is merciful and provides a way out for Moses to have his brother involved. God will have mercy and send Aaron. God will speak to Moses. Moses will speak to Aaron. Aaron will speak to Pharaoh. 
And it's a little less weird for them than it is for us because already you would never hear Pharaoh say anything. In the story, we are picturing Pharaoh talking, but Pharaoh has a person in his court who is the, the mouth of the king. Pharaoh never says anything out loud. Only ever is the mouth of the king talking. So another person is always talking for Pharaoh, and in this situation, someone's going to be talking for Moses, who's talking for God. So it works. They would understand it. It would make sense. And this whole obstacle is why Jesus is a true and better Moses, because he's not reluctant. He's not offering someone else, but going himself in obedience to the Father's will to deliver us and give his own life. Not arguing with God, but obedient. God has given us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And like Moses, we generally have three obstacles to the, that obedience. One is that we don't, we don't know God. We don't know his character. We wrestle and we doubt and we question. And I think like the Israelites in the stories to come, it could be argued that, that we don't know God. We're coming to know him, and we can, but our wrestle with his character is that we don't really know him. Because if we really did know him, we would know how good and loving and faithful and true he is. And he's revealed himself to us most visibly in Jesus. And we don't believe. We say often, well, they, they won't listen, or they don't believe, and we wish we had some kind of convincing sign for people. If only God would come down in the flesh and do miracles and give his own life for us or something like that. Oh, wait, he did. Jesus gave himself. And maybe we all struggle to believe at times, and maybe that's part of our journey. And we learn over time to trust and to live a life with Jesus' fruit coming out. And the third one is that I'm not able. I just can't. We say to the creator with limitless power and ability, we say, I just can't do what you're asking. In the end, it's probably what makes him most mad. <laughs> we come at him with this statement that we see our limitations as bigger than him when he's given us what we need. Let's pray.